Good morning, everyone. Good morning. This is Norwood Free Methodist Church. AJ is not here today. He went to a funeral last week, so I'll be filling in for him. Uh, different person, different way of doing things. We were uh, talking oh, a little over a week ago to a friend of ours, and some uh, tough things happened in her life, and we were there visiting her, and so was uh, another friend of hers. And her friend said that she was a uh, cafe Catholic. Uh, that means she'd go to the cafe and she'd just pick stuff that she, she liked. Well, that's kind of what I'm going to do this morning. Uh, I don't know what to call it, smorgasbord Christian, I don't know. Uh, but I want to share with you some things that uh, in the 45 years that I've been a Christian are kind of the foundations, the pillars of, of my faith, things that keep me going, things that are undeniable to me that they're, they're, it's impossible not to believe them for me. It's impossible not to act upon them for me. The uh, Bible says that we should work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God that works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So you don't have to agree with, with my methods or my things, but if there's something here that really strikes a heart, uh, Go ahead and use it. They're not mine. They were given to me by the Lord Jesus Christ and by through Holy Spirit. And they're free for all of his children to use uh, any, any way you want. I'll be talking more about this. But the Bible says that the thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That enemy that we have, and I'll talk about him in, in a little while... He doesn't want to hurt us. Get that out of your mind. He really doesn't. He wants to kill us. He wants to utterly destroy us. He wants to chew us up and take all that's good out of us and just eliminate the waste. He wants to, to destroy us. The Bible tells us that the Christians over in the early years overcame him by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. This is kind of, throughout this, there be kind of words uh, of my testimony, things that, again, that I've learned in 45 years. Brian, I don't know how the overhead works. Uh, did you have just a list of everything, or did you put them up one at a time? One at a time. Okay, because I'm going to be skipping around. I'm not quite sure how to, this is really hard for me. Uh, as soon as AJ said, would you be willing to speak on Sunday, I said, sure. Because uh, it's kind of like Isaiah, when he said, who will go? And Isaiah said, here, my Lord, send me. And I made up of my mind a long time ago that any time somebody asked me to do something in the Lord, I'm going to say, here, my Lord, send me. And sometimes it's been very hard. And this has been hard to organize. The thoughts, as soon as A.J. asked me, the thoughts came, boom, they're there. How do I organize them in a systematic way? I'm an engineer, and I like to do things A, B, C, D. You could call me monk. D, E, not A, D, B, F. Uh, that's kind of sends the willies up me, but I got a feeling that this is what this is going to turn out to be. So if it does, just hang on. We'll do our best. I'm going to start with the Bible because that's our basis for everything. And I want to lay a little bit of a foundation of why we believe and why everything is based on this book. This is a book the Bible. It's actually a collection of 66 books that were written by 44 people over the course of over a thousand years. There's 39 books that 
is before written before Jesus came. That's called the Old Testament. There's 27 that are written after Jesus came, called the New Testament. And this book tells about God's relationship with us. It reveals what God thinks, what God feels, what his attitude is toward us, toward other things. The Bible speaks about itself as being inspired by God, for we, all, we know that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now we can think of inspiration like the woman who wrote America the Beautiful. She's up in Pikes Peak and she looks out to the east and she sees the amber waves of grain and she sees all that and she's inspired to write a song. Take that inspiration and put it on steroids that have been on steroids that have been on steroids. Because the word inspiration of God literally means God breathed. I don't know if that means dictation. I don't know what it means. It just means that God breathed. In the original languages, every nuance, every word was chosen by God and the writers, the 44 writers, wrote it down. And the Bible fits together so well that it reads as one book, not 66 books. The reason it reads as one book is because there's one author, and that's God. It's the God-breathed book, the Bible. So that's the basis for everything. Um, I'll talk more about that, I'm sure, throughout. The first thing I've learned, other than, well, other than that about the Bible, first thing I learned is Jesus is the only way to God. Now I'm going to be using words today that uh, I'm sure people here know, but people listening might not know. Words like salvation. What does save mean? Save from what? Save means having a relationship, a personal relationship with God. It means that we've surrendered to God, that we've said, God, we can't do this on our own. We're sinners, we need you, and we've surrendered to God. That's saved. Salvation, um, sonship, daughtership, uh, all of those are tied up in the word saved. And I learned that there's only one way to salvation, and that's through Jesus Christ. I told you before, when I was a junior in college, um, I knew that I wasn't right with God. I had grown up as a Catholic, and I knew all the right things about Jesus. I knew that he was the son of God. I knew that he was born of a virgin. I knew that he lived a sinlessly perfect life. I knew that he uh, died on the cross for my sins, but I never understood why. Why did he die? Why did he have to do this? And a charismatic friend of mine gave me a little book, a little tract, they called it, that explained that. And that night in my dorm room, I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I believe in you and I believe in your word and I believe what this little tract said that contained your word, that you died for my sins, that you shed your blood in payment for my sins. I knew about the Old Testament sacrifice where they'd slaughter a lamb and the priest would shed, would scatter the blood in, in payment for the people's sins. And that Jesus was that lamb. If any of you have a Catholic background, you know the priest holds up the host and says, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. And that became very real to me. And I asked Jesus Christ to come into my heart and to save me. Now, I'll explain that a little bit. The Bible says that when we accept Christ, when we recognize that we're sinners and we ask Christ to save us, Holy Spirit literally comes into us and makes us born again. That was a big thing under Jimmy Carter's administration. What's born again? Da, da, da. 
That's all it means. Holy Spirit literally comes into us. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden? God said, you can eat of anything except from this tree. The day you eat of that tree, you will die. God didn't lie. The day they ate of that tree, they died. Their body didn't die. Their soul didn't die. But their spirit died. The, spirit, the part that talks to God died. When we become born again, when we accept Christ, when we acknowledge that he's the only way, Holy Spirit comes into us and makes our spirit born again. We can now have a relationship with God. We can talk to God. We can understand. And the Bible says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. We've talked to a lot of people. Um, some are very beautiful people, and they're trusting in their beauty. Some are very rich people. They're trusting in their riches. Some are trusting in their good works, but all have acknowledged that they don't know Christ and they need him. None of those things will satisfy. We used to say in the 70s that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of everyone, and the only one who can fill that is God. Riches can't do it. Looks can't do it. Popularity can't do it. Nothing can fill that except God. Jesus is the only way. The second thing I learned is that surrendering to Jesus costs you nothing. Yet it costs you everything. Let me explain that. There's a, a song. I bet Harry and I don't know it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinlessly perfect life. He was arrested when he was 33 years old. He was beaten. The Bible says his face was beaten unrecognizable. He was scourged. He was whipped. That whipping would have killed most people. In fact, a lot of people died because of the whipping. He was crowned with a crown of thorns. Not little berry briars that we think of, but thorns. And that cap of thorns was pushed on his head and forced on in his head. And in shock, he carried his cross. He was nailed to this cross. And while he was on the cross in shock, and they're nailed there, and their, their weight is sagging, they can't breathe because their diaphragm doesn't work. It's being stretched out. So they have to push themselves up with the nails that go through their feet and with the nails that are in their hand. They have to pull themselves up so they can get a breath and then collapse. And Jesus went through all of that. So all we have to do is say, God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I believe that what you did paid for my sins. And right now, the best I know how, I turn from my sins and I turn toward you. Save me right now. That's all we have to do. It cost us nothing. Yet it's going to cost us everything. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. That Lord means he gets to tell you what to do. Sometimes we like it. Sometimes we don't. The Bible says that if any man be in Christ or woman be in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When I became a Christian, I suddenly wanted to be with other Christians. I suddenly wanted to go to church and talk to other people. I suddenly wanted to pray. I suddenly wanted to have and nurture this new relation. I didn't even understand it. I just knew I wanted to. But sometimes God asks you to give up things. And I'll tell you about one. I used to tell dirty jokes and I was good at it. People would laugh. I used to entertain the, the bus when we go on football trips. I used to entertain them. And then I got to thinking, 
I can't see Jesus in heaven gathering the angels around telling them a dirty joke. So I quit telling dirty jokes. Did it cost me? Yeah. How much? Not very much. Let me tell you how much. When Brenda and I got married, we moved to New Hampshire. We didn't have much money, didn't know anybody. And my idea of a Sunday afternoon was watching football. Not necessarily the Packers, but, you know, any game that was on. And I really enjoyed watching football. Meanwhile, Brenda was left to do whatever, alone. And it dawned on me one day, probably God had been telling me for weeks, but hello, you remember that movie Back to the Future? Hello, hello. He says, you know, why do you watch football when Brenda's not, you know, she's... So I said, yeah, Lord, you're right. So I quit watching football. Quit watching football cost me this much. What I gained, because I love Brenda so much more and I love football, was this much. But it will cost you. It'll cost you, you know, anyone who lives godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. To have family friends that you've known all your life say, Roger's welcome in my house anytime. Bruce, he's not welcome anymore. Why? Simply because I was a Christian. To have your boss at a new job fire you, or going to fire you, and say, next time you get a job, don't go parading around with a Bible. I tell you what the parading around was. We had an hour for lunch. I didn't have any money, so I'd pack a peanut butter sandwich. I'd come into work, and I'd eat my sandwich. It takes how long? Five minutes if you really eat slow. So I'd spend the other 50, 55 minutes at my desk, alone, not bothering anybody, preparing Bible studies. And he said, next time you get a job, don't go parading around with the Bible. It'll cost you everything. It'll cost you everything. You'll gain everything. I want to talk a little bit about, I just want to introduce it here. Did you know there's three, I don't know what to call them, tenses of salvation? When you accept Christ, you're immediately saved from the penalty of sin. God forgives you your sin, you're on your way to heaven, uh, you're in relationship with God. As we live out and walk out this, this Christian life by faith, we're being saved from the power of sin. Think back, things that used to tempt you and that you used to sin about years ago, they're not, even on the, they're not even on your radar anymore, they're long gone. We're being saved from the power of sin, that's called sanctification. And when we die, we're gonna be saved from the presence of sin. There won't be any more sin in heaven. This part is, uh, you, you'll find that true as you give up things in your life. You th think, man, I thought that was a big deal when God asked me to give it up. No, it's nothing. It's not even on my radar screen anymore. The next thing, everything you do in the Christian life is done by faith. Everything. Let me explain that a little bit. When you came to Christ, you had to believe that, you know, I'll quote the Hebrews now. He that cometh to Christ must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. When you came to Christ, you had to believe that Christ is. The Bible doesn't go about to prove the existence of Christ. In, in Genesis, it says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't go out to prove God. It just, 
You can either say there's no God or you can accept God, but the Bible doesn't go out of its way to prove there is God. In John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. It doesn't go out to prove that Jesus exists. So by faith, you had to accept that Christ is, and that he died for your sins, and he did all the things that the Bible promises. That's faith. And you're gonna to have to exercise. Brenda mentioned that when she said, has God laid it on your heart? You know, I can't, I can't do that. You know, I, I could never do that. I did that once and I was miserable. I failed miserable. I'm not going to do God says, do this. Well, I don't, I'm scared. I don't, okay. by faith. I'll give you an illustration of that. It was in the 1980s. I don't remember what year. We were going to Emmanuel Baptist Church. And my uncle, Bond, was in the hospital. He was dying. Now, my dad was the third youngest of 11 kids. And Uncle Bun and Aunt Catherine actually was my dad's sister. She was the third oldest of 11 kids. My dad didn't get married until he was 40 years old. So Bunner and Catherine's children were old enough to be my parents. And their grandchildren were older than I am. And Uncle Bun was dying. And we were in the hospital. And Uncle Bum was in the cardiac care unit, and I couldn't get in to see him because I was just a nephew. But, you know, his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids, they got, they got the time in there. So I'm in the, the chapel area on second floor, I think it is, maybe third floor now. Uh, you know, the little chapel there in Canton Postam Hospital. And there's a whole bunch of us in there. We're crowded together. And I'm talking to Bob, uh, Bun and Catherine's son. And uh, Dr. McMurray comes in, and he says, there's nothing I can do said his kidneys have shut down it's just a matter of time and you could feel the grief settle on that room and and the all the emotions that are wrapped around a death you could feel it center in that room and I'm praying I said God I didn't get a chance to go in and tell Uncle Bun about you I can't get in there and a scripture came to me that's called the Lord laid the scripture on my heart that's Christianese for uh, you know God talks to us all the time I don't you know that and as AJ said, I know when it's God talking because it sounds like my voice in my head, but it's saying things that I normally wouldn't say. I'm, I'll say it here. You know, the devil has that same ability. He can drop things in your head. Uh, look, at, look at Judas. Uh, God had already, John 13 says that the devil had already put it in his heart to betray Jesus. Uh, the devil can drop those thoughts in. Anyway, we're in, in the prayer room and I'm praying and, and Thought came to my head, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should go to repentance. I said, Lord, is that true? Is that you? Silence. Nothing. I said, but it's true. And I said to my uncle and the people that were standing right around, I said, Bob, don't worry, he's not going to die. And the doctor had just pronounced him, you know, matter of time. And I said, he's not going to die. And the next night I called Bob when I got home from work and I said, Bob, how's Uncle Bun doing? He said, well... He's doing remarkably well. He's actually improved. And we prayed, and I prayed with Bob that tomorrow Uncle Bun would be as much improved over today as he is today over yesterday. The next night I got home, and Brenda can correct me. I got home from work, and Brenda said, Bob called about an hour ago. I want you to call him as soon as he gets home, as you get home. So I, I called him. I don't even know if I took my coat off. I called him, and Bob is walking on air. I can just, I can just see him. His, uh, his voice is uplifted. He's excited. And he said, uh, Dr. McMurray was in. 
he said, just before I left the hospital, and he said, it's a miracle. He's as much improved today over yesterday as he was yesterday over the day before. The very words, just a different verb tense. Uncle Bun came out of the hospital that summer. He, he drove his own car. He went shopping, drove, did a normal life for, I forget, I don't know how old he was, older than I am. And um, I went to see him and Aunt Catherine. I shared with him the gospel. He accepted Christ. He got sick in the fall and he died. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So don't be surprised when God asks you to do something, and it's by faith. Because everything we do in the Christian life is by faith. Sometimes we get used to it, but it's still by faith. Every week we pray for AJ and for the musicians. Even though they've been up here dozens of times and they've, they've worshipped and they've played, it's still by faith that they come up here. Everything we do in the Christian life is by faith. Next thing, grace is given when needed. Scripture said, boldly approach the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, there's, there's a thing. I'm not a theologian, so I can't, you know, AJ can take things and he can make complicated things simple and give them to you. I can't do that. I just said, you know, try this. This works. How does it? I don't know. Works. There's a saying that by his mercy, God does not give us what we deserve. We deserve to go to hell. Think about it. What sin did Eve commit? She ate a piece of fruit that God told her not to eat. Your kid eats a piece of pie. You told him this for dinner. Are you going to kill him and condemn him and all of his descendants to hell forever for that act? It was rebellion, by the way, that it was really the source, but that was the act. God, by his mercy, does not give us what we deserve. But by his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. That works for me. Grace is called un God's unmerited favor. Okay, that works for me. Let me tell you a little bit about grace. When I was a, a child, well, probably, I was 14 years old, so I wasn't a child. I was a, I was a know-it-all kid. I knew everything. Dr. Christian Bernard did the first heart transplant, 1967, and that scared the life out of me. To think that somebody would cut you open, open you up, take your heart out, put a mechanical heart in there and sew you back up, gave me cold chills. I was scared to death of that all my life. And I remember the day the doctor said, your lungs are fine, but there's a problem with your heart. I went cold from here to my feet. I was cold. One big goose pimple. Probably thought I had the hives. Cold. 1991, I had heart surgery. They cut out my aortic valve, took out my ascending aorta, the carotid arteries, and then put everything faults back in. I've got a, I got a Timex for a heart. Takes a lick and keeps on ticking. I faced that surgery with absolutely no fear. No fear at all. I had grace to help in time of need. I'll share a little bit about Brenda's, and if I say it wrong, Brenda, you feel free to come up and, and correct me. One of the things that Brenda feared when she was a young woman was breast cancer. Y'all walked through the breast cancer with her. 
I don't know if you saw fear there or not. Are there moments when you're anxious? Yes, there are. But there's not that gripping, compelling fear. And I want to take a time. We're, we're going to step over to the side. I don't know if I can say this. The day that you all wore bandanas. Thank you. You don't know what that encouragement that was to Brenda. Those of you who don't know, I'm better now. I think it was Brittany, I'm not sure all who, and people in the church, some people in the church got the idea, let's bless Brenda, because Brenda had lost her hair. It came out one night in chunks and she said to me, here's the clippers, cut it off. So we cut our hair off so she wouldn't have to go through the emotional thing of it falling out. We came into church the next Sunday and everybody in church had a bandana like Brenda's, everybody. I remember um, Stephanie had a whole bunch of them. If anybody didn't have one, she would hand them out. You don't know what that meant. Anyway, when Brenda faced breast cancer, she had grace for it at that time. She described it as God's bubble of protection around her. The shield that not even the enterprise could penetrate. She had to feel the shield, God's protection around her. Another thing is, some of you know, I have three boys. Two Army, one Marine. When they were kids, they played Army all the time. And one of Brenda's fears, can I call it that, was that the boys would grow up and go in the Army and go to war. All three of our boys are in the military. Like I said, two Army, one Marine. They have 12 combat tours between the three of them. I've got to be honest and say there's actually only 10. The, when the Marines got the, the Americans out of Beirut, you remember that? Josh was in that float. Kosovo, before the first Gulf War, second Gulf War, Greg was in Kosovo. They don't count either one of those. I count a place where you're getting shot at or the potential to get shot at as a combat deployment. The boys have 12, by my count, have 12 combat deployments. People would come up to Brenda at, when they were there and say, how do you handle it? And Brenda would say, it's like God's got a bubble of protection around us. I won't tell you about the eight Marines that went into Basra and the colonels told them, one of them was my son, we're not coming back from this one, boys. Call your families. I won't tell you about my son up on the hood of a truck because the, the tractor trailer was so badly damaged they couldn't get the driver out of the truck, been shot through the lungs, couldn't get the driver out through the doors. So my son was going to kick in the, the window, the windshield, and drag him out through the windshield when he slipped and a bullet went by his head and hit the Pakistani driver in the heart. When I was telling that story to people, and he happened to be there, because the three boys never talk about themselves. These two talk about this one. These two talk about this one. You get the idea. And I was telling somebody that story, and as we walked away, my son said, Dad, I didn't slip. I felt hands on me. I was pushed. I won't tell you about my other son. The first time they came under a rocket attack, and they're running to the bunker, and one of his buddies gets hit. Not a close friend. Just a guy he played guitar with and hung out with a little bit, gets hit. And my son and another guy sits with him and holds him while he dies. I won't tell you about those. 
But I'll tell you about a God who says, you are my son, you are my servant, I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. I'll tell you about a God who says, I am with you always. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll tell you about a God who says, all things work together for good to those that love me, to those who are the called according to my purpose. I'll tell you about a God who says, I will give you grace to help in time of need. And Brenda had grace to help in time of need. So if you're going through a tough thing or you're imagining something that's coming up and boy, you can't stand it, God gives grace to help in time of need. When you need that grace, it will be there. This is my favorite one. We have an enemy. I've said that. Resist him and he'll run like a little girl. That's not what the Bible says, but it's true. <laughs> Apologies to the women. I didn't mean anything that I just... You know him. He's known by Lucifer, the ruler of the demons, God of this world, devil, the accuser of the brethren. You know, he's, he's before God day and night accusing you. Yeah, look at this one. He's accusing. He's a roaring lion, a serpent. Beelzebub, I think that's Beelzebub. There's a mouthful. Beelzebub. Uh, can I just call you Bub? You know, uh, anyway, the movies would have him depicted as some powerful thing that, you know, it, there's a fight constantly between him and God and there's a struggle going on. And boy, and if you get close to him or mess with him, he'll take your head and turn it around backwards and make you throw up pea soup, you know. Uh, that's, that's what the movies picture him as. I don't want you to get confused. He is powerful. I'll give you just one illustration of that. Take abortion. 1973, I was around when, when uh, the people were pushing abortion and they said, you know, when, when a baby's first conceived, you can't tell if it's a camel, if it's a cow, if it's a, a dog, if it's a donkey, it's a, you can't tell. There's, you, know, you need sophisticated scientific equipment to tell if that's a baby or not. Duh. You know, that's like saying, you know, I found out that everybody in the cemetery who lives in the cemetery is dead. That's not a revelation. You, you, you can't even see them. You need a microscope to see them. Of course you need sophisticated, but it put doubt. Uh, that's not a real, that's just a collection of cells. That's not a baby. And we're not going to call it baby anymore. We're going to call it Latin for baby. We're going to call it fetus. How many women do you know who, who are pregnant and they're talking about their fetus? Oh, my fetus kicked today. I've never heard that. Or how many women do you know, they look worried and they're pregnant and they look worried and they say, what are you worried about? Oh, I'm so afraid I'm going to have a camel. I hate camels. <laughs> but they do all that and they take away the humanness of this baby. The most protected place on earth for a baby is in his mother's womb. Not in the United States. Most dangerous place to be. And yet right now, this, there, there's a fight going on. He's watched the news tonight. Because the Supreme Court justice is retiring, there's already a fight going on because they're afraid Roe versus Wade, the legal right to kill your baby, will be taken away. Women who, most women I know, would die to protect their babies, these women are fighting for the right to kill their babies. Don't tell me Satan isn't powerful. But he's not like the movies depict. 
you know, he was the, the cherub. He was the guy. He was the head hog at the trough in heaven. He was the most powerful angel, cherub. He was the most beautiful. He was the man. As soon as it entered his mind, I will ascend to the throne of the Most High. I will do this. He found himself flat on his back on earth wondering what happened. Because if you read in Luke, it says, Jesus said, I saw the devil like lightning cast out of heaven. He didn't have time to fight with God. Let me, how many people here know a little bit about math? See your hands, a little bit. I'm going to assign a value of one to me. Andy, assign a value of strength to Satan. Any number you want. 20. Okay, I'm going to put 20 with a thousand zeros after it. That's Satan's strength. Can he beat me? Yeah, he can. What's Jesus? Infinity. What do you have to multiply my strength by to get Jesus' strength? Infinity. What do you have to multiply that 20 with a thousand zeros behind it to get Jesus' strength? Infinity. There was no struggle between Satan and God. As soon as the rebellion entered Satan's mind, he found himself flat in his back on earth where God cast him, along with a third of the angels. Satan works in our minds. He talks us into doing things that we wanted to do anyway. But we've been, that's why it says resist him and he will flee from you. You have a propensity to steal and you see 20 bucks. Somebody forgot it up here in the piano. See, I'm not going to steal that because, you know, that wouldn't be right. God says, thou shalt not steal. And Satan will drop in your mind. Uh, you don't know whose that is. Somebody else will say it's theirs and it might not be theirs. You might as well take it as anybody's. Obviously, they're careless, didn't want it. And he'll talk you into stealing it. You deserve that truck. Careful, Brenda. You work hard. You deserve that truck. Yeah, but I can't afford the truck. The family, you deserve that truck. Yeah, he's got a truck. He doesn't, he doesn't earn two-thirds of what you earn. He's got a truck. That's how Satan works. Look at Eve. He, he caused Eve to doubt. You know, hey, let's have an apple. Oh, no, no. God says we shouldn't eat the fruit of that tree. You know why he said that? Because God's got evil desires for you, evil intents. He's, he's mean. He knows that when you eat that fruit, you'll be just like him. You'll know good and evil. You know, he told the partial truth. I'm going to jump to the side. If I told you I'm wealthy, I don't know how many millions I've got. My accountant could probably tell you, but I, I don't know. I've got a house up in Quebec on the lake, and I've got a house in France, and I'm in the process of buying one in Italy. And, uh, you know, you'd look at me and say, liar, liar, pants on fire. Right? But if I said to you, you know, we're not really well off, but we got about 150,000 in the bank and, you know, we can live comfortably and we'll see out, the, you know, until we die. Both of them are lies. The second one could be believable. You know, I've been an engineer, worked for 35 years, made some smart investments. Yeah, you could have 150,000 pretty easily. They're both lies. But you'll tend to believe a lie that's filled with partial truths. And that's what Satan did. He said, you'll become like God. You'll know good from evil. And Eve believed it. And she said, yeah. She ate the fruit. And look what happened. She knew good from evil. He didn't lie to her. Unfortunately, we know some women. I shouldn't say that. We know some people. Parents loved, them, loved her, took care of her. 
She gets 17 years old. She sees this boy, and this boy is a smooth talker. He's a good talker. And a year later, the parents who loved her are now taking care of the baby. Know anything like that? Let me tell you a little bit about Sat. Now, you can read the story in Job. I'm going to tell it the way that I think it. So it's, it's based on scripture, but it's, you'll see. In Job chapter 1, verse 6, it tells that all the hosts of heaven come together to meet with God, and they're going to talk to God. Now, I've got to tell you about bull first. Bull was the name of our bull. doesn't matter which one. They're all named bull. And bull had, we weren't rich farmers, so we couldn't afford the artificial insemination. We did it the old-fashioned way with bull. Bull had two jobs. That's all he had. The first job we never talked about. That was when, when Bull got about two years old. He was sent to Palers and sent home in packages to feed our family for the next year. We never talked about that one. We only talked about the second job. And Bull was good at his job. And he loved his work. Now, you got to picture Bull. Two, 1,800 to 2,000 pounds of muscle. You know, and he had a neck that an NFL lineman would be proud to own. Solid muscle. And he was at this end of the barn, and the girls would go out that end of the barn, and we'd let him out early after he got some food and grain because we didn't milk him. <laughs> you know the expression? Well, I won't tell that expression. Um, but Bull would go out of the barn like this. Hey, Clara, you're looking good. How's the calf? Don't let Annabelle lie to you. You're not looking fat. Your hips aren't big. Ah, you're looking good, girl. Hey, Anna. Hey, Sarah. It's time. I'll meet you out behind the silo right after milking. Oh, Margie. Tomorrow. I got some clover picked out for you down by the swamp. Said, yeah, after we get to know each other, we'll, we'll uh, stand in the swamp, cool off our feet. That was bull. And the cows used to, I mean, they would eat this up. He'd go out of the barn and the cows would swing around in the stanchion and look at him with the one eye that they could see with. And you could see them go, oh. You know, that was bull. Well, here's Sat. And I'll tell you why I call him Sat in a minute. Here's Sat. He comes, he comes in to, to meet with God like all the other things do, and he walks in. Feeling pretty good about himself. I am the most powerful. Ah, I bet you wish you were me, <laughs> losers. And he sees the angels, and he sees this one angel, and he's standing array over, he, he's in command. They're, they're in formation. And this angel at the front of his legion, standing there in full battle armor, and Seth says, hey, I know you. I'm going to call you Assyria. You're the dude that killed the 185,000 Assyrians. Child's play. You think you're tough? Meet me behind Mars, half past eternity. I'll clip your wings if you had any. That's sad. Now, I've got to say here, the Bible says it was really the angel of the Lord that killed 185,000 Assyrians. I'm not sure what that means. It could be a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of Christ, and Christ did it. But for the sake of this illustration, I'm going to say it was an angel, and it was Assyria. So Assyria's there at attention. He doesn't pay any attention to Satan's insults. His eyes are fixed forward. All of a sudden, the atmosphere changes. And God makes his presence known. God has been there the whole time, but he made his presence known. And Sat gets real humble. 
And in a voice that's reminiscent of Al DiLorenzo. Anybody here know Al DiLorenzo? And with the, I tried to do it like he would say it. He says, yo, Sat, how you doing? Where you been? And the Siri goes like this. <coughs> Gets a stern look from Michael for breaking discipline. Siri goes back to attention. Michael kind of softens the blow by winking at him. And old Sat is feeling, because he knows. This is God he's talking to. God knows exactly where he's been. God knows exactly what he's been doing. And God knows exactly what he's been thinking. But God makes him tell him in front of all the angels. That's why his Siri kind of... So Sat says, well, you know, God, Almighty One, yeah, you know... I've been going about to and fro on the earth, you know, uh, uh, seeking who I might devour. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? I won't read the rest of it, or say the rest of it, because that's the part I like to stop at. But he tells Satan exactly what he can do to Job, exactly what he can. He limits Satan's power. And that's Satan's work toward us. He can't do anything but God, but what he runs it past God and God gives him permission. He can't do a thing. And all he can do is mess with your mind. You're no good. You're not worth anything. I know it. It's a lie. He's a liar. He's a father of lies. I'm going to give you two illustrations and with that we'll probably end. Before I found out I needed heart surgery, I was convinced that God didn't love me and he wanted to kill me. I was convinced of that. I can give you details later, but I was absolutely convinced of that. Well, God showed me, God gave me a scripture that said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And I grabbed a hold of that scripture and I put it in here until it came out here. And I was driving home from work one night and you know, you know, all of us, it's, was, it was in the, not winter time, but it was after dark and it was like the dash light, somebody suddenly turned them down. And I begin to have a conversation with myself about, uh, you know, the surgery is pretty serious. Yeah, yeah, I know it is. Uh, you know, you could die during that surgery. Well, if I die, I'll go to heaven. And then the giveaway that I realized it was Satan dropping those thoughts and not me. Do you ever see a little girl? She'll bend over and stick out her tongue. And, you know, have you ever seen a little girl do that? I see little girls more, more than guys, but... It was like I saw the enemy, and he's bent over, and he says, but what about Brenda and the children? It was very sarcastic, and I thought, whoa, this isn't my thought. I know who this is. So I said, Sat, yo, how you doing? <laughs> and I said, let's not talk about the surgery anymore. Let's sing. He's alive. He, now, Sat, you join me. I said, you must have the voice of an angel. I said, I can't sing very well, but you, you can carry me. In fact, you can do harmony, because I don't do harmony either. You can do harmony and we'll sing. He's alive, he's alive, he's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven's gates are open wide. He's sat, I'm sorry. You're not forgiven, are you? Heaven's gates aren't open wide for you, are they? I'll tell you what, sat, you just hum. Well, you can't sing the words, you just hum and I'll do the singing. If I get off key, well, it, it, it won't matter. We'll just sing. He's alive, he's alive. And I realized it was like somebody turned the lights back up and old Sat wasn't there anymore. Let me tell you why I call him Sat. For years, 
It was literally years. He had me beat up so bad, the snot was constantly running out. He beat the snot out of me all the time. I had always been told, you know, you don't insult Sat. The, the Michael dared not, Michael, the Michael, dared not bring a railing accusation against Sat. That's what I was always told. Well, I got beat up so much, I decided, you know, I'm not Michael. I am a child of the king. Sat, and I call him Sat because I got to know him so well. I didn't, why call him Satan? You know, you don't call your best friend Frederick. You know, Frederick, you call him Fred, maybe. So I said, Sat, I'm going to call you Sat from now on. So I call him Sat instead of Satan. And uh, you don't have to do this. If the Lord has told you not to do this, don't do it. I'm going to continue doing this until God says, you know, uh, Bruce, uh, Sat came to me today and he said he really is feeling bad because you're picking on him. And he and some of his buddies have to build a safe place now so they can go. And so don't pick on them anymore. If God tells me that, I'll say, okay. Until then, I'm going to keep picking on him. Sat. I know, I know what he is. Now, Tom Gentman, who I do Kairos with, said, you know, you've got a high opinion of yourself. Satan isn't messing with you. You're not important enough to warn him. Okay, maybe the demon's name is Wilbur. I don't know. But uh, I do know this. When there's an army in a battle and the battle's won, who gets the credit for that? The general. So who's going to get the blame for this? Not Wilbur. I'm going to blame Sat. So I'll keep calling him Sat. If his name isn't Sat, sorry, Wilbur. Uh, but anyway, just a couple of weeks ago, I'm vacuuming. The doctor said, uh, the nurse said, or somebody said that Brenda can't do any uh, housework for six to seven years after her surgery. So I'm there vacuuming. And you know, the, uh, it doesn't take a lot of thought to vacuum. You know, it could be like Monk and say, oh man, the pattern, you know, I've got to get the pattern. But no, I just vacuum. And I'm there and I'm thinking of, of people and things that they've said so bad against President Trump. It's one thing if you disagree with his politics, that's completely fine. But the vile stuff they say about his daughter, the vile things they said about his son, he should be kidnapped and locked in a cage with pedophiles, that's way and beyond. You know, that's... Read 1 Corinthians 13, and then compare the love chapter to what these people are doing, and you see it's completely antithesis. It's Christ and Antichrist. If they want to disagree with him, fine, but not rape and mutilate his family. My goodness, where's that coming from? I know where it's coming from. It's coming from Sat. So I'm there vacuuming, and I'm thinking this, and all of a sudden I get bad thoughts toward the people. You know, that comedian, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What gives me the right to condemn somebody that Jesus loves and died for? I can say what she did was wrong, but man, I can't go any farther than that. So I repented of it and said, God, you love her. What she did was wrong, but you love her. Give me your love for her. Father, show her how much you love her. Show her, Lord Jesus, that you died for her. And I prayed for her and I repented. It wasn't 30 seconds later. That guy who cut me off in traffic last year. And whoa, whoa, where is this coming from? So I repented and prayed for him. And after about the fourth one of that, I realized this is Satan again. Sad, it's been a long time. How you doing? What you been up to? So I said, I, said, I didn't even converse with him. I said, we're going to sing. Now, apologies to Johnny Cash. And to, I don't know if you're supposed to sing copyrighted stuff. 
uh, I'll be safe because they won't call it singing. Oh, the cost of rebellion is high. It got you kicked out of the sky. Your heart was filled with evil desire. You'll be cast into the lake of fire. You'll be cast into a burning lake of fire. You go down, 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 and the flames will go higher. And it'll burn, 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 that lake of fire, that lake of fire. I said, just listen, Sat, I got a couple more verses I can come up with right quick. I didn't have any more thoughts. When the devil attacks you, use the scripture. Resist him and beat him back. It's all in your mind. It's in your mind. And the next time the devil comes and challenges you to a duel, and he says, choose your weapon, pistol or sword, you look at him and you say, Sat, you take the pistol. I'll use the sword. The last thing, and I'm only going to mention this, I won't go into any detail. He is God, and I am not. You know, I've been disappointed about things. God, why didn't you do this? Why, why did you do this? Why did you allow this? And I have to fall back to God is love. His thoughts toward us are thoughts of peace and not of evil. He is all powerful. He is all good. And he's good all the time. And he is God. And I am not. Andy, do you have a song?
Jubilee. 